This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. Get a little stretch. Now we're going to put a question up on the screen here. We're going to put a question up. Your job is to answer it. You're welcome to share it with somebody or to text in an answer. What words of the gospel were the most quoted the first hundred years of the Christian movement? You're welcome to just take a guess what they were. Take a guess. You're welcome to text it into me. If you're a first timer, please make sure one of our wonderful congregation introduces themselves to you and you can just play around, see what the answer might be. Whoever wins gets lunch at Bertucci's. There you go. All right, folks. <laughs> so great, great to hear. Great to hear the answers out there. And, uh, you know, you folks had a lot of great guesses. Be not afraid. Now, be not afraid, by the way, that's the most common command given by Christ. It was not actually the most quoted the first 300 years, which is interesting. Um, there's a lot of great possible answers, right? And you, you think about what they could be. You think about what they could be. One person got it right. And as I said, that person wins something, which is they get to take me to Bertucci's. <laughs> and that's Jay Lermit got it right. Here's what it is. Say it loud, folks. Give everybody, give him a round of applause for getting it. So it's, it's love your enemies. Isn't that interesting? Right? Not what we would necessarily think. You think about those first Christians, they were trying to find a way, how do we sort of encapsulate this? And at this time, it would have been mostly an oral tradition. And this was the phrase that they used over and over and over again. Now, I want to give you the context of that phrase and then start to weave it into to a broader message. Now, the context is that this line comes from Christ's most famous sermon. It was given on a mount. Therefore, it was called Sermon on the... Sermon on the... You guys are sharp today. So it was called, it was called Sermon on the Mount. And, and, and it's interesting. You have to see the context here. So, so again, at this time, it's not like they had PA systems and, and internet that was attaching to people at the shore and all that stuff. You know, literally you would have gathered around and you would have had to gather really close to hear what Christ had to say. And he offers many, many beautiful words in the Sermon on the Mount. It's sort of what Christianity, it's really the core of what Christianity is all about. And over time, that got written down. You know, these sayings were passed around. Eventually, they got scribed down, pulled together. That became the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm just going to read to you a little small part of that. And, and I want you to hear this in the context of this series. This series is called Behind Enemy Lines because I feel like that's the way we feel a lot of the time. We feel under attack all over the place. And Christ would have felt the same thing. Like, we tend to think of Sermon on the Mount as a nice, you know, nice sermon. It's a beautiful day outside. Let's go get picnics and hear Christ. <laughs> and yet, mm, there, there's history there. You know, Christ was speaking in the land of Israel at that time, and it was occupied by the Romans. He was starting to become a very large threat to Roman authority. So there's no doubt that there were Roman soldiers around. There's no doubt that there would have been this feeling of like, oh, are we doing something illegal? Are we going to get in trouble? And he offers words that are just amazing when you start to see it in that context. So I want to read, read for you, you know, this part of it. And then we're going to look at what the real focus is here. This is about love your enemies. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. You may be sons and daughters of your father in heaven. 
He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love only those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, and the word perfect here means whole. Be whole, therefore, as your heavenly Father is whole. It's, it's a beautiful line here, folks, because we're going to look at that. Like, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Those, those are words that we can start to allow to sink into our lives in ways that can really change things. And what I'm going to ask you to do over this, over the course of the time we have together here this morning, is really, like, let these words sink in. I think too much of the time, again, we, if you're like me, you know, I just blast through stuff. You know, I like read it, but I, but I don't really let it sink in. So in just these few words of love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, Christ gives a whole different perspective on the world. One sentence, which is actually pretty amazing. Because I think we struggle a lot. We struggle a lot in, in our world. We feel like we're, we're under attack a lot. Some of us, and this is sort of a funny one, this is a New Yorker cartoon. I imagine it's what a lot of us wrestle with. It's a couple coming out of church, and he says to her, how can I love my enemies when I don't even like my friends? And, and I think well, we can get that. Like It just feels like there's a lot of unliking around, a lot of dislike out there. And we can look at it in a very light way, but then we also have to understand that there's a very heavy way to look at it as well. And I want to talk about that from over here. We can move from a light way to see it, and then we can start to understand that there are much bigger pictures here as well. You know, folks, you, you just, you think. You think about what has occurred over the past month. Over the past month. Orlando. Not a lot of people are aware, but the, the Iraqi people suffered one of the most devastating terrorist attacks in their, in their history about a week ago. Didn't get a lot of press coverage, but over 200 people killed in a bombing. Then we go on to what happened in Minnesota, the tragedy there. And then you move forward as well to what has occurred in Dallas. And just think, folks, like about the emotions that we bring to that. I imagine, you know, if you're like me, that was deeply, deeply unsettling. All those events coming together. And, and what I think sometimes can be a challenge is I, I think sometimes we can, we can look at an event like that and we can just think, oh, I just can't wait for this to be over. But we're really not invested in like, well, what are we actually going to do about this? What is there to do about this? How can we change things or shift things or, or make things different? want to do a quick poll here. How many of us, when you hear these events occurring, feel a lot more vulnerable? Please raise your hand. You feel a lot more vulnerable all the time. You know, I was, it was just was, uh, at the library picking up a book, and there were a couple of girls on the other side of the shelf, and they're about to travel to Europe, and the one girl's talking about her mom, and she's like, my mom doesn't want me to go to Europe. She just feels like, you know, with all this stuff going on, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, sister. <laughs> As a parent, I'd feel the same way. You see, with this vulnerability, when we start to feel that vulnerability, it, it creates a real challenge in the human mind. We're always asked, we're always asked to choose between love and between fear. 
I mean, that's, that's the basic human choice, I think. Any day, at any moment, we're always asked to choose between love and fear. Now, quick quiz. If you're asked to choose between love and fear, what's the prudent answer? Which one should you take? <laughs> love. You should choose love. And fear, the problem is, is that a lot of the time with these things, especially for me, like when I feel vulnerable, it's very hard to choose love. It's extremely difficult. Because when I choose, when I'm vulnerable and I start to choose fear, I just want to gather all those around me and just simply set up walls. It's completely understandable to do that. And maybe in certain circumstances, it's even right to do that. But there are challenges there. Deep challenges. What I worry about, this is me speaking personally, you may agree, you may disagree, it's, it's totally fine, it's just to kind of get people thinking. I worry sometimes of this, and this is me speaking as Chuck, aside, not me speaking as a pastor, is, is I, I worry sometimes, you know, will we reach a tipping point where all of a sudden violence just becomes so much the norm that we don't even question those reactions anymore. And I think we have to, as churches, continue to question it again and again and again. Even in the midst of feeling vulnerable and feeling afraid. Really looking at these things. Because I think what Christ is constantly asking us to do is to find a third way. Could we all say that together? Third way. Third way is so significant to the Christian message. The third way means that that we find a path that's not the either or. You know, when events like this happen, the four events that I noted, that I noted, you know, a lot of the time what we do is we kind of go to our corners of the boxing ring. Oh, you're in this team and you're in that team. And and this morning, you know, I, I pulled out my phone, I was looking at CNN and it's sort of this shrill voice versus that shrill voice. A third way is something far different. And it's actually something far more difficult because it it relies on, and listen to this phrase, folks, it relies on a moral imagination. It relies on being able to look at things and act and lean into things in a very different way. That's what Christ did in his life. He clearly walked a third way that at many times is completely counterintuitive to how we normally act. And in acting in that third way, he brings us home to who we truly are. It it is something, folks, it's a unique thing that a church, a synagogue, a temple, a mosque, a, a great nonprofit, it's a unique thing that those groups need to offer. And you being part of a church that you need to speak to as well and speak to it with joy and hope and promise. Because I, I think we know certain things. So what we've been doing, for those of you who are first-time attendees, summertime, you know, attendance is a little lower, so we're really trying to make sure we're, we're able to engage in our audience over the summer. And, and so what I want to do is I want to put a line up here, put a question in a line. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk around with the microphone, and if people want to volunteer answers, please do. And it's this line here. How is this true? And I imagine all of us can see the truth in this line. This is from John 2.11. Whoever hates his or her brother or sister is in darkness. 
and walks in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded their eyes. So what I want you to do is, I'm just going to come around with the mic, like, how is this true? Like, where have you seen this? How is this true in your experience? Um, you know, and just share so we can start thinking about this. So the lights are going to come up, and please raise your hand, and I'll be around with the microphone. I think any time we let hate come into our heart or any deep feeling like that, it puts blinders on to the rest of what's going on. Um, we can't see anything. We're so filled with that picture. We actually can't see that someone could be different or might change. And so I think we're really stuck and can't move out of that situation. Great. So there's a stuckness and, and blinders can come on. What's another one? I think in, in order to hate, we have to turn away from the light. And so we're, we're, our natural state, I think, is light and love. And hate takes us away from our natural state. That's beautiful. So I, and I love the idea. I've said it a bunch of times, folks. I think it's important to say it. Just any time you talk about darkness, darkness is simply the absence of light. You know, that we are made to turn towards the light, and when we turn away from it, then this darkness can occur. What's another one out there, folks? Going back here. I think we don't see how we're connected to each other. That's good. We're missing that. That's good. So, so we oftentimes, what we don't see is we don't see how we're actually connected, the, the interconnection of all things. You know, our big fall program is called Reconnect because I think that is something so important that we constantly work at this reconnection. Do we have one more, folks? Hi. Um, I think when this happens that we are not at our best. So when we're not at our best, we act out in ways that are not out of love. It's out of fear or violence or something because we're not at our best. Not at our best. And it's interesting, Marianne, you know, as you said that, one of the things I was thinking, too, is that it's such an immediate rush to respond, you know, that can kind of get us out of ourselves. Now, folks, this is important, and we know stuff about this. So what we're going to do now is the band comes out. I want you to listen to this song. This is a beautiful song. Beautiful song. Listen to this song. Watch the video we're going to have playing. Think about what this is trying to tell you in many ways about what you already know. And thinking about it as well when we come back. Like, let's really look. Like, what does it really mean to love and to pray for? To love and to pray for. Let's take a look at that in a deeper level. I love that song, you know, that, that we have a goodness, that you have a goodness, and our job is to hold on to that. And so much of, of what we're talking about today gets to that. And I want to look at what these lines are, because it's important to understand a, a third way. Again, these, these, these events happen, they're going to continue to happen, and it's so easy to think that things become polarized, rather in this camp or this camp. And I think what Christ is constantly calling us to is a third way. A third way, something beyond polarization, something beyond that, like this third way. And he says it very simply, and, and, and it's like it amazes me because it's, it's said so simply that we can kind of race over it, but, but forget that this is really important. 
It's really good news, actually. Far more impactful, I think, than we necessarily realize. And maybe at times like this, the words can come alive in a new way. Now, what I want to do is I want to sort of pull these lines apart, taking a look at some of the language. So the first part of this we were looking at is love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, until being a pastor, until really digging this, digging at this a week ago, I sort of thought, oh, it's all one sentence talking about the same thing, that your enemies are those who persecute you. And no, when you start looking at the Greek, it actually is broken into two parts. He's talking about two groups. So the first is love your enemies. In other words, love those who you hate. Love those who you hate. We all have, and maybe the word hate is too strong. You know, hopefully it's too strong. You know, we all have those people that we just dislike. They may be above us on the social ladder. They may be below us on the social ladder. This part of the phrase doesn't really care. It's saying, saying, love them. Love them. Love those who you dislike. Not like them. Not tolerate them. Not you know, pretend they're your BFF, but love them, love them. And then the second part, and this was just really, I think, powerful. Love your enemies and pray. Did we say the four? And pray, pray for those who persecute you. Now that word for is kind of interesting. And I won't go into all the Greek stuff of it, but what it means is on behalf of or for the sake of. It's easy to think of folks that, that those who persecute us or however we're feeling persecuted, who's ever making us feel vulnerable at the moment, maybe not out and out persecuted, but however we're feeling vulnerable. Like, what does it mean to pray for that person? That one who we see as a source of our vulnerability in whatever way that might be. It's easy to let the ego, and hopefully this will come out right, it's easy to let the ego get a hold of that. Like, dear Lord, please make the bad people stop being mean to me. Now, nothing wrong with that prayer per se, but but you can see where our ego can kind of capture it, and it can be sort of putting me up here and them down here. My job is is to pray for them that they somehow need to change. They may well need to change. I'm not saying that they don't. But just be aware that that can become an ego trip too. You know, I mean, just imagine you're in a loving relationship and your prayer for your wife is, you know, you have a loving relationship, your prayer for your wife is is like, dear Lord, make her change and love football. You know, whatever it might be. You know, like uh, those kind of prayers, that's not really what it's talking about here. It's talking about a four as in for the sake of on behalf of. It's a connotation like this. Like, listen to this. This is kind of cool. It's the connotation of this. I'm going to use Alan's words here. There is somebody I know who has turned away from the light. I don't understand it fully. They're not awake right now. Lord, let me pray for them. In other words, let me find the best intentions of their heart and bring those to you. Sort of like, let me go to the store for you. (laughs) Let me pray for you. Let me bring a prayer that goes down to the very best parts of your heart, the, the best angels of your nature, and let me bring that up. New Church says this, that we're constantly called to serve the good in the neighbor. 
and, and it's easy to look at that, folks, and to think, well, then my job is to judge and to figure out which neighbor's good, which neighbor's not. No, your job is to find the good in the neighbor, even when it's incredibly hard, difficult, and challenging. Do it as best you can. And try to serve that. Try to pull that forward. Again, there is really nothing there that is easy or simple. And as a matter of fact, it's even a little uncomfortable preaching about it because I feel like it's, it's such a different way of seeing things. I've really got to empathetically start to see where other people are. Well, Claire talked about with that connection. I really have to start to sense what that connection is as best I can and wisely love there. Now, now obviously, there are situations, folks, where out of safety and in the need for accountability where steps need to be taken. We need to understand that too. But that doesn't mean that love cannot be present or that praying for cannot be present at the same time. Now, I'm not going to throw this next slide up Quite yet. Just hold on for a sec there. You know, when you, when you, it's interesting being a pastor. Like you read and you read and you study and you live life with people and you talk to people and da 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 da. And then on occasion, something will be said or written and it'll occur to you. It'll be like, oh my goodness, that is so big. I never, ever thought of it that way. You know, and, and what I'm about to show you is that. So I'm going to put this up on the screen. You may not be impressed, but just be impressed for my sake. You know, smile and go like, Chuck, that's really profound. Uh, because I think it really is. I mean, some of you may have already arrived here, but I just got here. It's like, oh, I get it. I see it differently. And that's this simple bit. God, throughout the New Testament, is primarily addressing the the victims. God is primarily addressing the victims. That is fascinating to me. I know at times I feel persecuted, I feel put upon, I feel pushed out. And it's so easy for me to be like, I got to bring you to church so you can hear what you need to do. You know, I just wish they were here and we're hearing this. Right? Let me pray for your soul, sister. That's not what it's saying, though. Do you get it? Like, wow. Here's Christ. No, no, most of the time, not all the time. Sometimes he does, he does talk to those who are doing the persecuting, uh, tax collectors, uh, Pharisees, all that stuff, Romans. Most of the time, though, he's saying, no, this is crazy, right? It's this weird thing where Christ knew that if he could somehow free the oppressed, that in some way, in doing that, he would free the oppressor. I don't fully understand that. Some of you may understand that much better than I. And that doesn't mean that we lose our voice. It doesn't mean that we're passive. It means there's a new kind of active, a new kind of courage that takes place there as Christ goes, look, it's the work... Ready for this? The work is really yours. And guess what? Who's the only person you control anyways, folks? You. See, that's, that's incredibly big. What it avoids is it, is avoids, it avoids a situation where there's a new kind of winning. 
You know, in other words, and I'm using that in a bad sense, you know, where instead of having this person on top and this person underneath, that somehow now, now to be fair, this person gets a chance to be on top and this person gets a chance to be underneath. It's not that at all. It's something new that's beyond those binaries, those either-ors, each side in its corner, let's come out and see who knocks the other out and wins. Something very different. I, I was thinking about it, you know, with, with all this, that it is both outrageous and hopeful. Can we say those words together? Outrageous and hopeful. This is totally outrageous. Like, what a crazy way to sort of hold the world and to hold change. And it's also incredibly filled with hope at the same time because it's such a new paradigm for how to see things. You know, a piece of new church theology, just a real simple piece, is, is this from true Christianity. God never takes revenge. God just never takes revenge. Can we start to live there? You know, I was thinking, folks, probably some of you may have done this. Some of you would be like, what is he talking about? When we were little kids and we're deciding who would bat first, did any of you play the game where you'd grab the bat and then see whose hand came up on top? Anybody play that game when you were a kid? <laughs> All right, All right. It's, it's like God's going like, nope, that's not the game. It's not about whose hand ends up on top to figure it out. It's about whose hands do we hold and do we embrace that's what this is really all about. That's outrageous, and that is hopeful. That is both outrageous, and that is hopeful. I think it can start to color so many different things in our lives. Like, imagine many of us have been in this picture in our lives, right? All guilty say I, I, you know? Like, like we've been here. And, and what I firmly believe as a parent, or at least used to believe when my kids were little, is that if I yelled louder, I somehow would win. And I don't know exactly how this part of Sermon on the Mount deals with it, but, but it is interesting, right? Like, how does this all interplay with that? How can I, can I make a difference here in my life? Like, really thinking, okay, my job is to, to love my enemies, to, to pray for those who persecute me, and Lord, my kids are persecuting me right now. Uh, you know, however that shows up. But, but how, do we, how do we start to tease that apart in ways that are actually deeply, deeply powerful? Do we see this out there in the world? Like, is this a possibility? Yes! It's absolutely, matter of fact, I think it's how we're made. And I, you know, again, I love the words of maybe we've turned from that and maybe part of what we can do in our own small way is start to turn back to it. And Christ clearly shows the way. Now, now it begs the question, like, well, well, was Christ able to do this? Was he able to model this consistently? Yes. I mean, one of the most powerful lines of all of Scripture, if you're new to Christianity, this, this may never have heard this before. If you've been raised a Christian, this is one of the most famous lines of all of Christianity. It shows you that Christ lived this. This is not theory. This is not something way out there, some woo-woo stuff. Christ lived this. We see that on the cross where he offers these words, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Nailed on a cross... And he says, forgive them. I don't know. They're in the dark. 
I certainly can't do that. This is the way I would see that line in most of my life. Don't forgive them. They know exactly what they're doing. And please make me feel like I'm not alone. All right? I do that all... I, she knew exactly what she was doing. Folks, but there's, 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 there's different worlds there. You know, I, I didn't have time to pull it today. But it's such a profound picture. I'm going to use it for a later sermon. So profound. It's just a little screen capture from, from some news footage from CNN. And it was from Dallas. And there was an African-American mom pushing her baby in a stroller as part of that parade. And shots ring out. You see this. Like a group of people huddled around that mom and walked with that mom, with that child, to safety. That's the world I think we want. That's the world of somebody who really is living the Sermon on the Mount, whether they have ever read it before or not. It's a world where we start to put this idea of vengeance in its right place. Now, on a little bit of lighter note, how many fans of Princess Bride do we have in the audience today? Woohoo, twoo of and all that stuff. I want to play for you a little clip here that really brings home this point of vengeance. And I want you to look at what Mandy, the, 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 uh, Mandy, one of the stars of the film, where he talks about vengeance. And I want you to notice the shift that he had in his life as he talks about what vengeance can actually be or can't be. Take a look. Well, there are two lines from The Princess Bride that I love. The one that everyone is very familiar with is, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. That's the popular one. But I heard another line from the movie about five, six years ago. I was in the gym working out, running through my lines, my songs for a concert. The the TV was on, the movie was on the TV, but the sound was off because I was running my stuff. And I went up to my hotel room to have my dinner before I went to the theater. My wife was there and she had the movie on. It was at the end of the movie, right? When Buttercup falls out the window into Andre's arms and Robin falls into Andre's arms. The man in black Carrie is sitting there asking me to be the Dread Pirate Roberts. And, and, and that 30-year-old Mandy and the 55, 58-year-old Mandy's watching this, watching the 30-some-year-old Mandy say a line that I said, it's in the movie, but I didn't really hear it as that young man. And for me, it's the most potent line in the whole film. And that line is, I have been in the revenge business so long. Now that it's over, I do not know what to do with the rest of my life. And I love that line. And I love it for all of us because the purpose of revenge, in my personal opinion, is completely worthless and pointless. And, and the purpose of existence is to embrace our fellow human being, not be revengeful, and um, turn our darkness into light. And so that's the line I love from the movie.
That is indeed a, indeed a beautiful line, you know, and I just, I love the idea that sort of that's life's journey, like we come to see it a little bit differently, and, and you know, can we, can we really start to allow in these words of the Sermon on the Mount? Beyond just a, a beautiful kind of theory, but really try as best we can in ways small down to how we drive our kids in the car, into ways larger that we might be called to, to actually live these words, finding that third way. Again, folks, people, people manage to do this all the time, but, but when they do it, it's in ways that are so quiet, so quiet, that oftentimes we miss it. I mean, I, out of all the coverage over Dallas, I hadn't seen that picture until this morning of the, of the people taking the, the woman with the, with the stroller off. And then I read another one, a similar kind of vein, and just a beautiful story, and that's the story of this. This is a manual AME church down in South Carolina. And it was the church where, uh, where Dylan Roof had gone in. We talked about this before. He'd gone in and, and shot nine people in a Bible study. He was a racist. And here's an amazing part. At a manual Bible study, uh, Bible study has continued every Wednesday night in the same linoleum-tiled room where Dylan Roof pulled his gun. They've met every week since that tragedy. Now, you know, and you think, folks, about the courage that that is. You think about the ways that that, that, that so much is, is about loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you. It's, it's just a simple little act, but the profoundness of it is immense. The profoundness of it is just incredible. So, thinking about this week, your goal, real simple. Your takeaway from this, real simple. Love and pray. Can we say that together? Love and pray. When you feel those that fear sort of welling in your heart, when you feel anxiety, when you feel vulnerability, just say to yourself, love and pray. Let's have a week of that. Let's try as best we can to live there. The way we're going to close today's service is with a prayer. I'm going to offer a prayer. Then you'll have the opportunity to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it, to have a moment of quiet reflection, or to just simply say your own prayer around these things that hopefully have stirred your heart today. And then, as always, we have a great last song. You're welcome to join with the band in singing it. So please join with me. Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. And Lord, help us to take these very simple, basic words from the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Help us, Lord, to live those as best we can. Love and pray. Very simple, Lord. Very profound. Somehow, Lord, allow us to lean into our lives there. Allow us somehow, Lord, to allow these words to shape our actions, words, deeds this week. And Lord, we close with this. We close, Lord, with prayer for others. Prayer for others, Lord, who are struggling in the darkness. Prayer for those, Lord. Prayer for those who are hurting because of violence. Prayer for those, Lord, whose hearts are broken. 
in prayers, Lord. Prayers for the possibility, for the outrageous, hopeful possibility that we can some way step into the light, that we can some way be a healing presence as a church in this world, that we can in some way draw closer to you and closer to each other and closer to our true selves. Be with this congregation this week, Lord. Guide our ways, as always. Lead us home. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.